And so that's basically what ended up happening. And so sorry, guys, we're late today. But welcome, everybody, to Brutal Planet. Yeah. Weirdest introduction ever. Well, it's what happened. We had to give an explanation to the people, you know, who are. You know, auto already messing with you out there, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things. But we got uh, moving we forward. Got, yeah, absolutely. But we got Laurel and Hardy with us here today. <laughs> and, uh, I prefer Waldo from Statler. You prefer what? Waldo from Statler. The old man from the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. I love those old men. Anyway, yeah, let's get our topic here. You got problems, but uh, make sure everybody to go and uh, subscribe on iTunes and all this stuff, and uh, make sure to go and subscribe on YouTube, Vimeo, and all this stuff. And uh, before it is that we get started, um, I know that Mike has a uh, new thing that he's going to start doing. Well, somebody's kind of been doing, but I, it sounds like you're going to kind of expand it a little bit. Uh, you want to let everybody in on this uh, on this whole thing of uh, riding in cars, drinking coffee, or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, what? No. So I've been doing <laughs> I've been doing the uh, drive and drosh because I'm an hour away from work. So you know I'm in the car. I can do a Facebook live and be live is so much cooler. But you know, bring people in and just do a goofy off the wall thing. You know, what? My hope is that it turns into not just a goofy thing, but a real education piece. And so I thought, unlike okay, this show. <laughs> no, very, very <laughs> much like this show. But the idea is to uh, do it uh, with faith-based backgrounds, you know, people giving tips on how to do an interview about their car insurance, you know, various life topics, you know, obviously with my, my faith point of view, but also just general things. So we were thinking of amateur hour with Mike. And we were thinking of um, I, what I really like is Mike interviews everyone, and then somebody, some schmuck, start suggesting other things that weren't in the options, like open mic. And now there's a problem. People actually really like open mic, and I thought I would love to do my interviews in the um, hot tub. So if I get a hot tub, <laughs> I invite people over, and every interview is in the jacuzzi. And I thought, you know, if I interview women, this can get a little risque. So. Yeah, that could be a bit of a problem. And I'm sure that your wife would not be too happy with that either. Probably not. So I'm thinking of something else. But, you know, I want to cross late night talk shows with TED Talks, but with local people in Colorado Springs. That's, so, that's, my, that's my shtick. So kind of like uh, Rude Awakening. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but good. But good. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so, whatever. I'm, I'm whatever you want to call it. I someone said the Shoning Show, and I thought that was just 
people can't even spell my name in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I, we, we just call him Mr. S. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So all right. that's all. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, updates on Matthew, he's just kind of doing his thing. Someone said the Shonen Show, and I thought that was just people. I think, I think we're getting some feedback somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's interesting. Exactly. Does somebody have the sound oh. coming through, like the that's Facebook cool. Live? Excellent. Excellent. That and, was me uh, kicking over uh, to the video to monitor chat. Sorry. I got muted. Wow. How dare you? Matthew. We still hear it. <laughs> Should be muted. So, how's that? Check one, two. All right. Cool. All right. So, monitor today's. Facebook, like usual. So, <laughs> so today's topic uh, we're going to be discussing something that uh, people tend to not discuss, and I, and I don't know if it's because of the fact that they simply just don't know about this concept, or, and so therefore they don't expound upon it. And it's a concept that it, it was basically something that was brought to my attention here recently, and I'm not going to mention the individual's name. But there's a very um, prominent Orthodox teacher from, I think, uh, Aish that uh, had this commercial that I was seeing on uh, on YouTube. And it's a very prominent teacher. This isn't some sort of schmuck, you know. Um, and he was saying, okay, you go and you give us $7. We're going to go and pray at the uh, um, at the grave of Asadic, you know, this coming uh, um, Rosh Hashanah and all this stuff upon your behalf. And all this stuff, and then he had the like these tiers. It was like seven dollars, and then eighteen dollars, and then thirty dollars, and five hundred dollars, you know, and so on and so forth. Ridiculous. You know, yeah. And I was sitting up there going, okay. First of all, you know, um, first of all, we got to look at where it is that this halakha comes from. You know, praying at the um, at the graves of of Zadikim. Uh, and those who don't know what Zadikim are, they're righteous individuals. Um, and also, you know, first of all, is it necessarily kosher to be selling this whole thing and all that stuff? Because it kind of sounded to me like, uh, you know, uh, if you go and you, you know, donate to Jim Baker or something like that, it'll give you a bottle of holy water or something <laughs> like that. You know, it just uh, it just seemed to be like one of those things to me, you know. And this concept of praying at the graves of Siddiquim is something that is not – talked about have you guys heard anybody uh within you guys's face going and talking about this concept of praying to Sadiqam or praying at the graves of Sadiqam? i've heard of the practice but i've never heard and no one's no one's brought to me anyway but i've heard of the practice i'm aware of it um, okay fact, uh xl talmudist i follow some of their stuff and uh sal took a trip over to uh oh, what was it lithuania i'll say wherever it was he went for uh one of their rabbis so the heat for some big annual thing and he did that Okay. Okay. Um, I'm aware of it. I just, but that's about it. Well, there's, you know, a couple of things that we have to look at both sides of the argument in terms of this. You know, one of the things that we see are actually many of the commandments that were given in the Torah to within the written Torah is, you know, to not be like Egypt. And with Egypt, one of the things that we see there is that Egypt worshiped death. You know, yeah. they 
This was their big thing with the, um, and I see Mike has another thing in there. Do you want me to bring in the other camera instead? Sure. Okay, hold on. I'm going to pull that one up, and I'll drop this one back down. But, um, yeah, this entire concept is uh, something that, uh, you know, we, we don't, we, we separate meat and dairy. You know, that's one of the big things is we separate meat and dairy um, in terms of kosher because the, the meat represents that of death of the dead animal and the, and the dairy represents life because a, um, a uh, uh, you know, a baby animal will go and uh, be, you know, nursed by that of its mother through that of the milk. And so, uh, and it looks like we lost Mike there. What, did you change the camera to him? Uh, yeah, his other camera dropped out as well, so I don't know what's going on there. Hopefully he makes his way back in. But uh, that's, you know, one of the concepts that it is that, that we end up seeing. And we also have the commandment as well against uh, necromancy within Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it's chapter 18, verse 11, if I remember correctly. Um, and so we have so we have these premises, but then on the flip side as well, we also have um, you think, for instance, of the cave of Machpelah. You know, you see the concept of the cave of Machpelah and um, how it is that that was considered to be a holy place. We find that all throughout the scripture, where the cave of Machpelah is a, is a holy place, and. So, you know, and this is where it is that the, uh, that the forefathers were buried. And then a couple of weeks ago, within the Torah portion, we end up seeing that they were carrying Mo or not Moses, but Joseph's bones mm -hmm. with that of, you know, right next to the, to the Ark of the Covenant, you know. And so the thing about it, though, is that we see that there is some sort of a middle ground here. And this is something that I think that it is that we that we have to in order to understand this halakha, we have to come at it from this vantage point. Um, what you guys' take on these things that seem to be seemingly contradictory in terms of the things that we mention in the scripture itself? Well, first of all, there's nothing contradictory about taking the bones of Joseph out of Egypt. That was fulfilling a promise that was made to him when he said, When you leave here, take me with you, do not leave my body here. So that was fulfilling a promise to bring him back to the land. Uh, there's, that's, I, don't know, I don't know if that's the same kind of issue here because that, that wasn't actually praying at his site. It was just simply fulfilling that promise to bring him back home. Yeah, but the thing that's interesting as well is that the, is that the, the, the Torah refers to him as bones, you know. And so, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just a very interesting diatribe there. So, you know, figure it's... How long he been dead at that point? I mean, obviously he'd be, but I don't think they were showing that anything about praying there, though. I don't know. I don't know. If it's directly related, is it? I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those things that where it's, you know, right there beside of something that is set apart and holy, you know. And the thing about it though is that it it had to be carried with that of the bones of Joseph, you know. So it's one of those things to where we see that there is definitely. Some sort of thing within there. What about what about yourself, Mike? What's your uh, take on the things that we mentioned? Just you know, solely in terms of what we mentioned in terms of the Tardashevik Tav. 
Yeah, I mean, can you can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, um, and I, I apologize. It looks like and I see where um, where everything left me off. But interesting is, if you look look at all faiths, all religions all around the world. I think uh, I think Mike's Mike's uh, I think Mike is losing connection over there. Do you, do you hear this? Do you hear the same yeah. thing going on there? I do. Um, he a little. Did you go back to Wi-Fi? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He might need to go back to the other device he was using. Hey, hey sorry guys. I'm gonna try. Try with my phone. Okay. Again, I apologize. No problem. Not a problem. And he already uh, just went in there, so let me go and pull that in there, and and then he can finish his thoughts on that as that's going. Oops. Um, did I hit the wrong one? Oh, sure. Just kick him out. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I think we lost both of them. Here. I think we yet, get, while waiting to get him back, that this is different than praying to the person, the dead person, even a righteous person, and it's not asking or I'm not beseeching them to pray for you or do anything in, in that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and that's that that. I think we need to be mentioned too while we're uh, yeah. before we really get too far into this, but people don't get confused about what we're of talking course. about. Of course, of course, and that's something that we'll get into when I bring up the slide from the from the Shulchan Oreck. Okay. okay. You got for it. Oh, okay. You can slide. You're coming fancy today. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 Mike, go ahead and give your thought there. I'm sorry. Can he hear us? I can't hear him. Mike, go ahead and give your thought there, big guy. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Ah, okay. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it keeps kicking me out. So. Um, I think hopefully we're good now. Uh, where where did you guys hear 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 me last? It was uh, it was all pixelated, so we really don't pick up anything. All religions. Oh we yeah, okay. Yeah. I was doing an impersonation of a 1950s robot. <laughs> I apologize. Um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting, but uh, just look at every look at every faith and look at every religion is going to have something specific, a specific. Uh, moed or specific uh, um, uh, appointed time for commemoration of the dead and or statues to commemorate the dead or past ones and especially loved ones not just deities but we see a lot of this for for the dead uh, of course we see it leech into our faith and the catholic faith and some of the christian faith and things like that but my i guess my my first take of it is is this something that we see founded in judaism and the torah Mm -hmm. Or is this something that has been leached in through other faiths where we think that we're going to get some kind of blessing by worshiping the dead? And if not, maybe worship is a strong word, but but honoring the dead. Well, you know, think about this. You know, we, we see that the cave of Machbella is considered to be holy. And yeah. then we also find that um, we have... Um, uh, Miriam and Mary going to the tomb of, of Yeshua. Yeah. 
we also have, as we mentioned earlier, the bones of Joseph, you know, being beside that of the ark, you know, and so there's something here. And so with this, maybe we should go to the to the Shulchan Orech and see what it says in there in terms of this. Now, the thing about this, I think that the three of us probably have a different approach on how to approach Shulchan Orech. Um, me personally, um, I see it as binding halakha, okay? And now, for you guys, it might be a bit of a different take. Uh, what is what is you guys' take in terms of how bound, binding something like Mishnah or Shulchan Orech are? Well, you go first, Mike. <laughs> I'll wait for you to go. So, uh, as far as reading, I think that it should be done. I haven't read it all. I have a little app on my phone, Mishnah a day. And because I didn't pay for it, it doesn't give me all the good stuff. <laughs> but, you know, Torah only gives us so much. It doesn't give us how to walk things out. Um, personally, I don't feel that I don't feel that I would not be celebrating Pesach if I did not have an egg on my Seder plate. Now, I know that I know there's authority given to the sages, given to the rabbis. But that's just the kind of the way that I viewed it is that um, am I not honoring Shabbat if I turn off a bathroom light in my house? Am I am I sinning yeah. against Shabbat by turning off a light? I don't think so. Uh, and that's kind of where, where I fall is. Uh, but I also don't throw out the bathwater with the baby and say that I can claim to be some kind of karate, you know, <laughs> ridiculous, but also uh, – wanting to hold Torah above everything else. Yeah, of, of, of course. Now, now, now just, to, now just to, uh, to mention here, the whole thing with, you know, not turning on the lights on, on Shabbos, that is something that's not a part of binding halakha, except in terms of certain sects of Judaism, because this came about after the, um, after there was no longer a Sanhedrin, you know, yeah. so the, so these were things that were dealt with later on. And the way that I would approach that is I would say that if you are a part of that particular faith that has that halakha, you know, within Judaism, then you are binding yourself to that faith. And so therefore you should honor it. That's the way I see it. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. I think if you've uh, put yourself under that authority, yes. Uh, I think it's probably a little bit different approach coming from, Gentile side of things coming from, you know, I'm not Jewish by ethnicity at all, uh, though I do follow first, mostly a lot of the first fruits teaching. Well, they teach Messianic mm -hmm. Judaism. A lot of the teachers I listen to, uh, Rabbi Hirschberg, for example, of Messianic Judaism. Uh, so I look at these things, I read these things, I look at how they do things, and I think it's important to do that, uh, but I don't consider it binding, not that way. Um, now, do I think there's merit in doing things the way that were already halakhically established? Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of cases where that's probably the better. Is it the best way to do it? Probably, maybe. Um, but I, I think that's probably something that needs to be, you know, prayerfully sought after the individual if you're not under that authority. Uh, of course. Your primary authority at that point, we don't have. And I saw this again, uh, Lancaster, I think it was, that made a really good thing about the, uh, he has a series or a teaching from a uh, conference they did. We talked about that the tragedy of the Messianic movement you know, prior to being called Christianity, was that we lost the council, as it were, that would have that authority in the Messianic circle when, when, you know, with what happened in 130 AD. We didn't have that authority anymore in place, and we don't have it today because of that. 
And that will clear up all these questions, but we don't see a replacement for that. There's nothing the church doesn't have that legitimate authority. They can't simply appoint themselves. So, but and yet the Jewish side can't because they don't hold the same faith in, in a sense, as far as Messiah goes. So we're kind of in a limbo area that's probably not easily answered. Matter of fact, he asked the question, where's that authority today? And it's a question he doesn't answer himself. Well, here's so. here, here, oh, go ahead. No, go right ahead, Mike. I was say, here's sorry, making my <laughs> pulled out my uh jacked up my lower back today, so I just had to get a nice pack um, and some mm. apple cider vinegar, which apparently is supposed to cure everything. <laughs> but ex but uh, I poured it on bad theology before, and it hasn't done anything, so it's not a cure for everything. But, <laughs> um, you know, there was there's a large church uh, near me. It is has 15,000 members, okay? Wow. Now, one of the associate pastors there, and I'm not saying names or church names, okay? Yeah. But one of the associate names pastors there, he came and he prophesied over me. And I said, this isn't my everyday, but sure. And he said, Mike, uh, you are going to be leading a Shabbat Messianic Jewish service here in the main sanctuary. And it will be the largest Messianic synagogue, you know, Messianic service. It's not a shul, it's a church. Um, in North America. America. He said, are you ready for it? And I said, no. And he <laughs> said, can you get ready? I'll work on that. And so he, and then I talked to some of the other associate pastors and they said, we agree, this is coming. Now the senior pastor and another associate pastor started teaching that the Sabbath is undeniably Friday night to Saturday night. And if you do not observe it, you're not opening a beautiful gift from Abba. And they start, and they started teaching a little bit of Hebrew in their, in their sermons. And I'm thinking, well, this is pretty cool. Hmm. Now, they said, for me to be able to start being in leadership there, you have to start off by becoming a member and then leading a small group that may eventually turn into a larger group that may put you into some kind of pastoral role. And I said, well, tell me the first step. And they said, well, the first thing is becoming a member. You go to this class. It was a nice class. I mean, they'll have, hmm. they'll have hundreds of people in these classes just to think about becoming members once a month. It's a pretty big deal. So I showed up and they said, well, one of the first things you need to do is agree to the Nicene Creed. Now, at this point in my life, my Facebook page says, said Mike Schoening. Did he, did he freeze up there or did I freeze up? He lost his audio nope, there. I, I, I had to uh, apologize, guys. I had to, uh, I had to press hang up on a phone call. Yeah. Um, so my, my Facebook said no more. So now they have certain portion of three that is essentially of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they say we believe in one God, and here's all three. They're lagging audio there. Yeah. Oops. Right. Better? There we go. Better. Well, it was for a second. Did he freeze again? Yeah, I think his text is giving him fits tonight. Oh, goodness. Let me um, know if this is any better, guys. There we go. So Okay, so sometimes my data does, works, and sometimes my Wi-Fi works. This is, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> 
So my issue with the Nicene Creed was they were or with this church is they were showing me a portion of it. My issue is I read further into the Nicene Creed, and you guys know what I found. What's that? Anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm supposed to sign my name in the dotted line saying I agree, agree to this Nicene Creed, which also includes a lot of anti-Semitic and replacement theologically theological values in order to start teaching Torah in the church. I prayed about this for two months, maybe even longer. And I couldn't do it. And so here, here's my holdup. Now we're talking about, well, Christianity doesn't have its own Talmud. Well, doesn't it? What are, what are the creeds then? What, 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 where would we put that in? You know, it, it's I walk if I walk into a focus on the family bookstore right now, and I see Joyce Myers and Billy Graham and Mike Bickle and blah 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 all over the walls, is that not Christian Talmud? And so is is Talmud um, a bad thing? No, it's a study, it's commentary. But now would I now would I put a book written by Joel Olstein on the same shelf as as uh, something written by Rumbum. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> yeah. Now, no. but our, th this is this is how I would read Rumbum's writing, with a Bible with a Torah next to it to compare, with a highlighter. And, and of oh, course, really? I get another phone call. Of course, I got another. I've got, <laughs> people only call me when I'm on videos. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I don't want to. I don't want to offend people, but there are some things in Talmudic writings that I'm happy to cross out with a sharpie. Mm -hmm. And I know I have Chabadniks and different people that watch my that watch these videos I'm tagged in, and I'm, I apologize if I've offended somebody. It's not my game, but if it doesn't line up with Torah or leads me away from Torah. I don't want it in my household. Well, I'd be interested at some point to see what those things are that you're, that you're mentioning, because I know there's certain things that are on websites and all that stuff that aren't necessarily <coughs> what is <coughs> actually in there. And some Come out of him! Oh, sorry. <laughs> and some people don't know the difference between Mishnah, Gemara, and Tanya, you know, and that's, you know, or one Zohar. of the... Or Zohar. Yeah, well, well, I'm talking people about don't know the, the difference parts. Between, people don't know the difference between Zohar and Zohan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the three parts that are within the Talmud. But, you know, in terms of Shulchan Orech, is that, you know, the, the rulings from the Sanhedrin are from the Mishnah. Now, mm -hmm. the thing about the Shulchan Orech is that basically what that does is it puts it into layman's terms for people and condenses it down to five volumes, as opposed to the 20-some volumes that it is that we have. And so this is where our jumping off point in terms of this is going to come from here. And uh, this is from Shulchan Oryk, um, uh 179, uh, 13. This is what it says in there. On Erev Rosh Hashanah, people customarily go after Shachar's prayer to the cemetery to pray at the graves of the righteous. They give charity to the poor there. They recite supplications to arise holy, uh, to arise righteous ones, who are in, uh, interred there in death. Um, 
let's see here. Where where did I go? Who are interred there in the earth, rather, uh, to advocate for our good on the day of judgment. Uh, um, additionally, because it is the burial place of the righteous, this place is holy and pure, and the prayer is more readily accepted there, since it is recited on holy ground. And the Holy One, blessed be He, will act with kindness in the merit of the righteous. However, one should not direct his prayers toward the dead who lie there, because this border on being included in the prohibition of requesting assistance of the dead. Rather, one should request from Hashem, blessed be He, and He should, let me go to the next slide there, he should have mercy on him. Um, wait a minute here. I think I got the wrong slide there. Let me go back. Uh, That's the wrong slide, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just have it oh, out of order. That slide, not that Okay, slide. there we go. Yeah. Mercy on him in the merit of the deceased righteous, literally the righteous who lie in the dust. Kitzer now lists some related halachos in terms of visiting the dead. Upon arriving at the cemetery, he has not seen the graves for 30 days. He must recite the blessing, who fashioned you with judgment, etc. Upon arriving at the grave, he should, may, uh, he should say, May it be your will, Hashem, that so-and-so who is buried here should rest in dignity, and may his merit stand for me. Then placing his hand on the grave, he should place his left hand on the gravestone and not the right hand. He should recite the verse in Yeshia uh, 58.11. Then Hashem will guide you always. State your, soul, uh, state your soul in times of drought and strengthen your bones. And you will be well, a well-watered garden. And like a spring of water whose water will never fail, he should continue with the following prayer. Lie in peace and sleep in peace until the arrival of the one who consoles. Now, the footnote in there for the one who consoles is talking about Mashiach ben David, and that's found in the Talmud, announcing peace. When placing his hand on the gravestone, he should concentrate, uh, concentrate on the verse, then Hashem will guide you um, with 15 words corresponding to the number of joints in the hand. Uh, one should not visit one grave twice in one day regarding the one who reads the that slide there, the writing mm -hmm. on the gravestone. If the letters are protruding or raised, um, it is it has a harmful effect on his memory. It is a shegula, which is a mystical aid to prevent harm to those who would otherwise result in doing this to say the prayer of the Ahava Rabbah, with abundant love, the blessing immediately precedes the morning Shema reading with the words, Yuleidecha be Ahava, to proclaim your oneness with love. Okay? So, mm -hmm. so that's what we have from the Shulchan Orech there. Um, any thoughts? What's the time period of this, of this text? Shulchan Orech uh, came about in the uh, 1500s. But the thing with it is that it's almost like a Cliff Notes version of the Mishnah. That's what it is. It's, it's for those 
to better understand the Mishnah in a condensed form. It's in five volumes as opposed to that of um, as opposed to that of you know twenty some some volumes. So they hit the so so the way that it's set up is that Shulchan Oryx starts out. If you go to the very first chapter, it tells you what your thoughts should be upon arising in the morning. As soon as you wake up, it's telling you to, to, to realize that you are in the presence of the, of the king. Then, as Shulchan Oryx, what it does is it works its way throughout your entire day. Then it goes to the Moedim, things like the Shabbat and all of those things. And then it ends with death. And that's why it is so late within there, you know, chapter 179 out of 200, 221 chapters. Um, and so, you know, so basically it's, it's if, if we were to take the halakha of Shulchan Oryx, we could actually place it during the time of Yeshua and before the time of Yeshua because of the fact that it comes from the Mishnah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, right. so it's, it's pretty clear that they're, that, that it's mentioned to not um, direct your prayers to the dead, and I think that's very important to uh, to mention because I think that's what many people may believe that it is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a little I'm a little bit confused about where it says that because the the what did it say Tzedakim, mm-hmm. whatever are buried there that it makes it pure and holy ground. So I'm trying to figure out where that concept comes from. The concept that- comes from the um, – it, it, it is taught within Hasidus usually. Uh, the way they say it is that basically a person's holiness stays within the bones until they erode away because of the fact that there's still marrow and a part of their soul attached to that of the bones. And this is one of the reasons why it is – that we have uh, at a Jewish funeral, there'll be three holes within that of the casket. Yeah. You know, you can't be embalmed. You know, you can't, you know, have any of that stuff. You have to go in the ground rather quick. And so with that understanding, the reason for that is because of the fact that the sparks of Kedusha, if you will, are said to, you know, to basically, as a person dies, the three holes in in, in there allow them to, uh, become a part of the ground to feed the plants and all that stuff, and to basically to be able to not only you know the soul leave the body, but also at the same time to basically allow the circle of life to happen with with dignity and to give back to the ground, to give back to the uh, uh, the trees and all of those things. And so you know that's that's the entire idea around that. Makes makes sense. Well, I've heard it. I've heard it also said that it is more honorable for um, the family to drill the holes, the actual family members. Yes, I have experienced that, and then for the family also to take at least three handfuls of dirt and uh, put it on the casket, and uh, and to not use a you know um, a very expensive wood, a wood that uh, will maybe degrade easier, like a non-varnished wood, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, those are interesting. So, you know, when, when Hashem says to Moshe, you know, this is holy ground, you know, I'm wondering yeah. if it's because Hashem made the ground holy or if it's somebody had passed and died in that cave beforehand. But I think it was maybe just because Hashem makes holy whatever he wants, you know. 
Um, Absolutely. You know, see, one of the things I constantly think about is, you know, the cave of Machbella. You know, that's considered a very holy place. And, and who's yeah. buried there? The, the, the matriarchs and the patriarchs. And so, you know, we have, we have that concept within there. But also, you know, the thing about it, though, is sure. that I also have to say, to say this. You know, when Moshe Rabbeinu ended up dying, does anybody know where Moshe Rabbeinu no. uh, is buried? No. He, no, it doesn't. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's like... I know a God who knows a guy. Knows. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so with that, you know, the thing that I end up saying, and I see that we have Deborah that keeps uh, commenting there. She said, Jerry saw no issue with it. She said, blood cries out from the earth. We know that there could be DNA within the bones. Yeah, yeah. Very, very I, true. Well, but the... Yeah. You know, there'll be a physical resurrection from those you know, those people from that those those places, right? I mean, yeah. But here's a, but here's another premise though. With the whole Moses thing, I would end up saying this: that the issue would probably be of considering that these people, you know, this generation of uh, children of Israel, one of the issues they had was constantly, you know, loving to go back to their old ways of Egypt. Yeah. You know, they they weren't totally matured. We saw this, you know. Even with the golden calf, you know, Moses is still up on the mountain, you know, and they're like, oh, we got the tar. All right, we're going to come down and build this calf now, you know, and all this stuff, you know, I mean. And so the thing, the thing that I think that they, that Hashem knew that was going to be an issue is that, first of all, they're going to go back to their old ways of Egypt saying, oh, this is where Moshe Rabbeinu died. Let us go and make an idol of the place and where it is that Moshe Rabbeinu died. And we see from Shulchan Oric that that is, if that's what it is that you're, uh, you know, that if, if say if it is that you are a fan of Shimon Bar Yochai or or somebody like like that, then this is not something that you should be doing, because basically you're taking something holy and turning it into something that falls within the lines of necromancy. That's kind of the way I see it. Sure, and there's a balance there. So there's something else in there, and I don't know if it was something you read there or something I'll throw in my notes here uh, when I was. Reading this the other day, when we first started talking about this, the comment there said, you know, about not putting a focus towards the dead, but rather requesting that God show bestow mercy on them in the merit of the righteous of those that are buried there. Ah, yes, yes. And it's interesting, if you look at other, and you mentioned Mike earlier, other traditions, the Catholics, the saints do this. They, whether or not in practice, is debatable, but that is how they describe what, as far as the prayer, it's not prayers to the saints, but prayers in the merit of, is how they describe that as well. Uh, well, yeah. well, well. Think about our own prayers. Bashem Yeshua, Yeshua oh. Meshukenu. Yeah. Well, you know, people will say there's no background for where does this authority, where do you get this concept from? And there's actually a really good example of this in Exodus. Or okay. this is on the mountain, and God's like, these people have ticked me off. I'm done. I, I will destroy them and start over. And Moses pleads with them, and it's Exodus 32, 13. He actually says. Uh, he's going to start pleading with them. He's up there. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, your servants, who you swore by your by yourself. It said, and he goes on saying, "Hey, remember these people." He he beseeches based on the merit of the people God made promises to already, and and that is how he starts his pleading with God not to destroy the people. Absolutely, he opens it in that statement. Uh, so it, 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 he's not praying to them, but he's calling to calling out to God in that same merit. Like, hey, these are the people of the promise that you made. 
don't want you you promised these people that their descendants would you can't you know it's it's, it's in some sense it's reminding God of his promise but it's also calling on, on the who they who they were and their righteous character and I think that maybe it is I don't know you know I said this is a co topic that's a little outside of my my experience with study so far so that's why I'm I'm, I'm throw these out here and let you guys comment on that but is this possibly one of the foundations of this I mean it's one of the earliest examples I've found yeah yeah I, th I think that's definitely a possibility what do you say Mike. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense. I'm trying to figure out. I don't know, obviously, we're not going to have all the answers today, right? Maybe by tomorrow, but not today. <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm looking at this. You know, pray to them, and the Father may hear your, your prayers better. You know, better. You know, I'm trying to figure out, is that a Torah concept? You know, or you know, because it's interesting. You know, when so, when somebody said in the you know, Mishem Avram VeYitzik VeYachov. Does that mean that they were standing at the graves of Avram mm. to get their prayer? Like, does that mean you get a like a an overnight mail put on your prayer that you know that goes up to Hashem? I mean, is your prayer stronger? Is it better? Is it more kadosh if you're standing near the bones, or is it of the spirit of the duty and righteousness of the individual who? lived in those lived on the on those bones could it be uh the fact that that, that it is that, that the person's in the presence of zadikum you know that they are in the presence of a person you know who has you know uh, uh, attained lofty uh, uh, you know a lofty level of holiness in some way you know um and i think that that has a lot to to do with it. I think that that has a lot to do with it, that in many ways, it's not only being around that spirit, but around that, yeah. um, that influence, the psychological influence of being, of being around, yeah. you know, yeah. The psychological thing, that I think is, I agree with though. I think uh, the physical location, I don't think has any bearing that, to be honest. It's spirit isn't bound by the body. Remember, if that were the case, Yeshua says, "Pray, you know, ask us in my name. Pray in my name." You know, he says that flat out. What you mm -hmm. ask in my name? Well, there is no place we can go to to stand to have that connection. Of course, not there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when people go to Jerusalem, people go to. Yeah, I mean, they go to the graves. They go to Yeshua's yeah. grave because they try to find some kind of extra merit or the grave connection. Even if it was, he's not there. There's no connection to him being in that place. I think it has to be one. now. As far as it comes to you know the patriarchs, we know where they are. Then um, we know where some of the others are by tradition, and we have other great you know saints and rabbis over the years, mostly in Christian and Judaism. Uh, we know that we know where they are. I think it has more of a psychological point though, because you are when you make the effort to do something out of the ordinary, out of the normal, like taking a trek. Like some of people go annually to uh, I forget where it was that Salat back went for this, but he went halfway around the world for this. When you along with hundreds or thousands of other people, when you go and make that kind of pilgrimage effort, you put your mind in a special place. It's, it's taking something that you're taking sure. great efforts to make this prayer or to make this pilgrimage out, to make prayers out. And I think when you put yourself in that position psychologically, you are putting that effort behind that. And I think in that sense, absolutely it will have that because your your mental facility and your spiritual focus is stronger at that point because you're putting yourself in that position too. Uh, I don't know if the location itself specifically really is physically important to it, other than the, the perspective it puts you in, at least in my, you know. But when we also look at, you know, some of the other things that it is that we do 
throughout our day, for instance, you know, us, uh, us as men wearing tefillin when it is that we do, you know, uh, shakrit in the morning and all that stuff. And then, you know, the Pesach Seder and all that stuff. These are things that are physical that, that are not necessarily, you know, like the Pesach Seder, you know, the bone that it is that you get in there and the, the horseradish and all that stuff. Those things aren't necessarily holy. But however, the physically being able to do, to touch, to taste, to feel, you know, and, and to smell and all of those things, I think in many ways they heighten a person's understanding to be able to help them to get to a higher mandrega in many ways. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would disagree with that. I mean, I think the in the case of the Passover uh, Seder, for example, while none of the elements are necessarily holy in themselves, particularly today without having a real sacrifice, and the, but the entire thing of it, I think, puts the person in that perspective, and that certainly makes the event in itself holy. I think that, it certainly adds to that. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, so I think that that plays a lot, a lot into this, you know. And one of the things that comes to mind as well is that we have um, Yeshua getting ready to go and raise up Lazarus and all that stuff. And Martha was, you know, kind of upset because she she was like, "If only you were here a day earlier." He had been dead, you know, for four days at this yeah. point. And within within Judaism, the soul stays around for about three days. Then it goes up to, you know, Hashem. And then we end up seeing that basically that um, that Yeshua was making a, a great point there in, in, you know, showing that, wait a minute, you know, he's above that of any other Sadiq. And the thing, and that premise alone right there of what counts a person as being ascetic, when we look at the, uh, at the, uh, the Mishnah and the Gemara, one of the things that we see in there is that there is a, list of things that it is that they have to do. It's a very short list. But here's one of the big ones, is that they had to have risen somebody from the dead. And the thing about it, though, is that there's the, the two uh, most recent Zadikim that it is that we have, there's only two that really exist that I know of that have actually done this. One is, of course, Yeshua HaNotzri. The second is Shimon Bar Yochai. I don't think we've had anybody since 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 then do this, have we? I don't know. Oh. What about what about uh, the Rebbe? Uh, well, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe Schneerson. Schneerson. Did I he raise someone for the dead? I don't know. I, I I could be wrong. He may have. I don't know. And what he's about not... the the, Bra- the Breslov? Yeah, I, I don't know. No, he's he's, uh, he's he's Chabad. Uh, Rebbe Nachman. I don't believe Rebbe Nachman did. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard about Sherson or Nachman uh, raising from the field from the dead. Maybe. Okay. The only ones I can think of off the top of my head that we know were, you know, the apostles and, and of course, Paul himself as well. But well, true. Yeah. beyond that, I can't, I don't know any off the top of my head. Yeah, so I think that the, um, you know, that the, that the scope of Siddiquim, now the thing about it was at the same time, we also have, the concept within Tarashi that in every generation there are 32 Siddiquim into the world. So that's another thing that we got to sit there and, you know, wonder about and all that stuff. So, you know, the thing about it, though, is I think, you know, to, I know Matthew had some points that he wanted to get to. But in terms of, you know, closing out this segment, however, I know that the way that I, that, that, that I, that I would say, see it is that 
first of all, this this concept is not necessarily what some people think whenever they you know hear about you know Jews going and doing this. Um, you know, I, w- I would end up saying that you know if is a person obligated to it? No, but if they do it, they need to do it the right way. First of all, do it in the right mind, do it in the right spirit, and all of those things. And that's um, not to anything they do. Say what? I would extend that that principle for everything they do. Oh, of course, absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, you know, and that's all that I would you know really really say about it in in terms of that. But 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 Matthew, you said you wanted to get to something before it is that yeah. we. Well, this is kind of we, – we kind of briefly touched on it about praying in the merit of another. I want, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that because uh, we see this – I mean, well, yeah, we, you should have said, you know, pray in my name. But we, that's mm-hmm. – I mean, in, other than the baseline thing of it, I mean, obviously he said to do it, so we understand that was already a custom by this point. And it's, and it's not an improper custom. Otherwise, he would not have said to do this. Uh, but where is the principle of – what is the, uh, the Jewish perspective on this from well, about the origin of this and the meaning of this and – uh, where it comes from. I mean, other than like the one spot I mentioned earlier. Oh, well, you know, you take, for instance, you know, uh, this reminds me of when I debated uh, Rabbi Yasher Meza, who's a good friend of mine, by the way. I debated him uh, uh, last year, and he goes and he says, um, well, you know, your, you know, your Rebbe, you know, Yeshua goes and says, you know, that uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And I'm sitting over there saying to myself, when a person says, you know, Anuchi Hadrech vi Emes vi this is something you hear every Rebbe go and tell their students. Because of the fact that they have grafted themselves to that Rebbe, they are under the authority of that Rebbe, they are supposed to go and to uh, put forward the Halakha from that Rebbe. And they are required to be a, a, you know, in many ways, a spiritual reflection. Mm-hmm. And so with that, we personally, I think that, you know, it's, you know, if a person wants to go to the grave of maybe Shimon Bar Yochai, great. If they want to go to the grave of, of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, that's great. If they want to do it with Rabbi Nachman, great. But the thing about it, though, is that, we see that every every sect of Judaism goes and has this this tradition of going and doing this. We were given that same tradition in the merit of Yeshua Hanotsri at the same time, who is our Rebbe. He's been our Rebbe for two thousand years. And so the thing about it, though, is that this is a concept that is definitely within Judaism. It is something that you know goes back to I would say to the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because we see that Moshe Rabbeinu even says, you know, many people go and make a big brouhaha about him hitting the rock and all that stuff. That's why he wasn't allowed in, into Israel. Was that, well, was that, is that Hebrew? Brouhaha. <laughs> <laughs> but, however, in, in, in Deuteronomy, he says, I wasn't allowed to go into the land because of your sin. So we see that the sin of, the, of, of a person's followers come upon them. You know, this is one of the things that, that you know, why it is that um, it says that the death of a Sadiq, you know, brings about atonement. So that's, that's my whole take on it. What about, what about you there, Mike? Uh, <laughs> Making you think, aren't I? Well, what a mouthful. And I apologize, guys. I mean, I did throw out my lore back today, so I'm going to have oh, to I'm go. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I'm gonna have to go pretty soon. I just in extreme pain. Other than that, I'm fine. Uh, no, this is really good stuff, you know. And in searching in searching the dead for a blessing, you know, I guess it's a concept that I haven't thought about too much to really make my own. Is this? But you know, it's something interesting. You know, I have a little vial, and it's got sand from Jerusalem in it. Mm. And for some reason, I don't hold it in my morning prayers, but I just like that it's there. You know, I think about, I have a, a Talit Katan that is from the, um, shoot, I don't know, 50s or 60s. Wow. And when I wear it, it's just kind of interesting. I just kind of like knowing that's a, that this may have been one or two men have worn have worn this and prayed fervently for Mashiach in their lifetime. And uh, the, I know that one, at least one man who wore it is deceased. Now, I don't think of a dead guy when I'm wearing my, my, my katan mm-hmm. by any means. It doesn't bring me any extra value. But there's something uh, human, human about having something or being near something of your people. You know, um, recently, uh, a month ago, when I climbed, I went to an area where my family had been, the Sephardim had been for 350 years and I climbed up into this mountain and there was this big boulder kind of carved in half. And then with the 10 words in this old paleo Hebrew and it, and this geologist said it can't be newer than 500 years. Now mm-hmm. here's the thing is when have we used paleo last? I mean, paleo was, if there's any way paleo had been used in the last I would say maybe 2,000 years, it had to have been from people of the northern tribes. Well, that's not my family who came here 350 years ago. Or is it? You know, and, or is it forged? You know, we don't know. But being close to something that has these geologist scientists are saying that it's at least 500 years old, being there and touching it with my hands and rubbing, you know, my fingers in the grooves of the letters, it was kind of a spiritual experience for me. Now, knowing that people may have traveled to this area in the middle of, go to the middle of nowhere, turn left at Egypt and keep going nowhere for an hour. And there, there it was. And then you had to find it hidden between these two peaks. Now, knowing that that may have been a space where my ancestors, recent and maybe even ancient ancestors have worshiped Hashem, maybe for hundreds of th- or thousands of years, did give me a spiritual connection, but I wasn't thinking of all the dead people. I wasn't thinking that maybe my prayers would be heard. Maybe if I said 15 words for the 15 joints of my hand, then my prayers will get a, will be heard better. I wasn't thinking any of that. I was really in the mode. I put my hand on the stone, and maybe I did use my left hand now that I think about it. I put my left hand on the boulder, and I thought, um, this history must still live on. And I think that is the same reason why we would have a 9-11 memorial or a Holocaust memorial. We just had Yom HaShoah. You know, these things are to remind us of the past, but also to not make the same mistakes in the future. So I guess going to the grave of, a, of, a, of the Tzedakim might remind us to also pursue that role. And I, 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 interesting, the first thing that he read was you go to this, the grave and then you do charity. That was the first, the first mitzvah of that of that passage was to do charity. Yeah. So that was I found that very honorable. That the first thing you did was recognize that it's not all about you, you know. That it's about 
those around you. And if we can focus on these things, and whether we do it according to this to this um, this text or not, and, and the Mishnah or the Shulchanah or not, I think it's. I think that the, the point should be made. I, now, I'm not one to put offense upon upon offense upon offense upon offense and say if you don't do it this way, then you're not going to get this purpose. There's typically no egg on my seder plate. And I have a very <laughs> spiritual Seder. I do have a very spiritual Seder. A very meaningful Seder. But if someone were to tell me, well, you used your right hand, so the Father's not going to hear your prayers, I probably wouldn't agree with him. But if somebody were to say, look, there's a monument of righteousness here, and it's a reminder of you to be more righteous, and we should talk about this more, I would say, I'm game all day long let's do it <laughs> you know so i guess that's where i'm at with it yeah the danger is you know the thing about those i don't think that somebody who is um young within their walk should be going and traveling to the graves of, of sadiqam because i think that in many ways they can they can go and cause that to become an idol and to become you know definitely you know a form of idol worship which could be very detrimental very dangerous it is something that you know we should not do that the the tata shebektav as well as tarachev Tells us to not do those things, but you know it's very interesting I mean, I mean. That, how it is that you make a point about uh, you know the concept of tzedakah or charity. You know, mm -hmm. upon going and doing this, it reminds me that when the synagogue was open, Tadaka. people, Tadakim. yeah, people would come into people would come into my uh, to my office, and they you know would be so stressed out about something they could not think straight. And what I would end up doing is taking ten dollars out of my wallet, and I would say, "Here's what I want you to do. I'll sit here and wait for you." Go and take this, give it to somebody in need, and then come back and we can and we can, <laughs> you know, talk. And, and 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 that and people thought I was out of my mind. It's like, okay, yeah, Rabbi's lost lost his mind. They and so right. they would, they would go out and do it, <laughs> and then they would come back and they'd be so much focused. They would be in a much better spiritual place to be able to you know be able to take in what it is I'm trying to help them with, you know, and all that stuff. So it's. Yeah, you know, so, so those things definitely go hand in hand. You know, I think also you mentioned about the history of it, uh, connecting the history. I think that's something uh, that's something I didn't really even think about much in it. You know, it could be in the common Christian tradition. You don't really get that kind of generational thing as well. Uh, something I've very much noticed in the last several years being more of the Hebraic Messianic mindset, and certainly more the more I've dove, dove into it. But the one thing that really drove it home for me was a little Messianic church I was going to for a couple of years here. Uh, they got their Torah scroll, the new Torah scroll they had. And it's actually, it's not new, it's it's new to them. But, and I, and I guess, I don't know if it was one they were using to teach somewhere on some synagogue or something, because, you know, they got a hold of it, so it wasn't, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a it's a true one that used somewhere. But the thing is about 100 years old. Oh, wow. So, I mean, the first time, you know, we saw it, of course, you know, everyone got to see it, they have it open to people, everyone look at it, you know, because a lot of people had never seen one in person. And, uh, but, you know, when you were in, in your, you know, the procession here, and, and and later I was blessed to be able to, you know, to read. We, since none of us in the church speak Hebrew, we would usually do just the first verse of the Torah portion uh, from from the scroll there in Hebrew. Uh, generally, I, and after a while there, I was blessed to be able to, to be able to do that. I was, I was printing up with the Masoretic and transliterating ahead of time because I got stuck because I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not fluent at all. So and I would get stuck sometimes. So that's why I had that with me. With I just lay up there on top of it so I could you know look back and forth if I needed to, but. Doing that, it connected to that history in a way that I something I had never even realized. And there was yeah. a very powerful thing about that. 
Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why the structure of the faith is set the way it is, particularly in Judaism and the Messianic Judaism is the same. In early Christianity, it was the same way because it forces that history into the, into the forefront of your mind. And so this almost seems like a natural expression of looking back at that history rather than just simply looking forward to for that history. It's also a way to bring the, few, the early next generations and later generations beyond that even, several even centuries later, back to that history of this certain branch or this certain group or a certain teacher and to maintain that history and that identity. Uh, is, so I think maybe, is that part of maybe where this, some of this developed from? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I definitely think so because, you know, I, I remember a, 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 a friend of mine was telling me one time, he's like, he's like, I don't know, this part of our house, you know, we think it might be haunted. And I was like, it's not haunted. Okay, first, but, but let me go, but, but, but let me ask you this question. Hey, you never this, know these days. this part of your house, have you and your wife ever had an argument at that part of the house? And he goes, yes. And I said, basically what has happened there is you have an imprint there. You have put something there. That's what's happened. You know, and so the thing about it, though, is that, first of all, whenever you, you know go there. We know, there's so, dark, we know there's evil spirits out there. Well, yeah, of, of course. But, you know, the thing about it, though, is that people get goofy with stuff. You know, that's, that's just the best way to put it. People and so think it was their neighbor's grandma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was my hamster. It was, it was Pifu, Pifu the hamster, and he's back to haunt me. He chews at night in the walls. I know it. You know what? I just got a, um, uh, I just got a message over here, a private message from um, James Willis. Ended up going and uh, commenting Thank here. Uh, and James, uh, him and I went to college together, and uh, him and I have kind of reconnected uh, briefly here. Uh, the past day because our, our good friend Eddie Anderson actually ended up passing away. And um, he was one of our best friends. But he said, he asked this, he said, just a question. Have you guys ever thought of getting people from different religions to see how you are similar? Or is that nope. something you already know? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, hey, I'd be open to the idea. But uh, hey. Uh, cults, cults really don't want to hear opinions of other people, so no. <laughs> if you look at us, we sort of do that already anyway. I mean, yeah. three of us are from pretty different backgrounds. Yeah, you know, I'm a Lepidio, not, you know, Matthew's, a, Matthew's crazy. And, I uh, hey, I don't suffer from insanity. I revel in it. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewandAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time, and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step-by-step -step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.